Welcome to the show. I hope you're doing well. I'm Gary, and this is episode eight of Live Like You Love It, the podcast that celebrates the importance and impact of live music by taking you on stage, in the crowd, and behind the scenes through conversations with artists, fans, and those in the industry that make it happen. Guests today are Zoe Catterall and Tess Wilkin from the Sydney-based band The Boys. Zoe is the lead singer and rhythm guitarist, while Tess is the drummer and backing vocalist. Hilary Geddes on lead guitar and Courtney Cunningham on bass make up the impressive all-female rock band. Zoe has always been determined to start a band, even from a young age, and has seen a number of changes to The Boys, but one thing has remained consistent, and that is her determination and drive to make music. Tess clearly shares this passion and their infectious enthusiasm for music resonates throughout this episode. We chat about that passion and determination, what it's like to be an up-and-coming band in the Sydney live scene, the realities of touring which includes their love for the oversized baggage area in airports, don't worry, all will be explained in the episode, and how they live double lives as rock stars by night and scientists by day. Zoe and Tess both have a clear love for live music, which is evident from the many side projects they have on the go between them, including Megafauna, Dead Witch and Greenscreen. What else is really refreshing in this episode is not only do they have a drive to see the boys succeed, that also extends to their friends who are in other bands around the country, which is actually really reflective of the Sydney music scene and also great to see. The boys released their first EP called All This Talking Gets Us Nowhere in June 2020 during Covid that includes the monster hit Linda that now has over 275,000 streams online. We talk about how that song nearly didn't get recorded, but thankfully they found a way. If you haven't checked it out, honestly, go and give it a go. I promise you won't be disappointed. Head over to livelikeyouloveitpod.com to subscribe on all your favorite podcasting platforms and follow us on socials, where you will get extra content, sneak previews, and be the first to know about new episodes. Okay, let's get into this chat. This is the fantastic Zoe and Tess from The Boys. Okay, let's go. Zoe and Tess, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah stoked. And Tess, thank you for letting me into your home as well. Very much oh, appreciated. You're so welcome. Being a podcast, you can't get the visual, but my lounge room has been converted into this really cool little mini office. It's, it looks really cute. <laughs> it's really there great. will be photos. We going have on to take a photo photos. Yeah. Yeah. Look, there's everything. There's tea. There's muffins. There's bowls of air. Um, <laughs> How have you both been? Because Zoe, when I messaged you, it looked like you've been pretty busy. So busy, and both of us have been really busy with so many different projects. And then I've also have been so busy at work. At the moment, it's a lot of just go, go, go. That's the way I love it. Good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm extremely grateful that you found the time because when I was looking for guests, what often happens is I end up down a rabbit hole <laughs> finding new bands, which is amazing. I love it. And it happened with you last year. So when I was going through Spotify radio, I can't remember who I was listening to. And then Linda came on. And oh, that riff sick. started with, and I was like, oh my God, what is this? <laughs> I'm a sucker for a riff. And then I was yes. diving in and I was like, oh, they're amazing. Boys are amazing. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I was really hoping that you would say yes. I am extremely grateful that you found the time. And oh, as I said sick. to you before we started, I'm not going to dive into too much about songs and meanings and all that, but Coslind is such a big tune. Mm -hmm. I did want to know, did it start with a riff? It did. It started with the riff and then the words just spat themselves out within like a minute. I just wrote the song. Amazing. Lyrically. Blech. It's amazing that big songs always seem to happen like that, right? Yeah. And sky. I was really angry as well. So it just meant it was really easy just to let that one out. The one thing about that song, though, is that 
we always really loved playing it live, but it was so hard to record. Like that was the mm. third time that we've tried to record it. It's just been so hard to capture the energy. And in the end, we got a live studio and it was actually this, I think it was the second time we had a live studio. Yeah. Maybe. It was, I liken it to Caging the Beast. Really? It's such a high energy song and it's so big. It's ruckus that actually containing and capturing that energy was felt like we were never going to do it. We nearly ne- never released Linda because like Tess said, that was the third time we tried to record no it. No way. Yeah. And I'm so mm. glad we released it. So what was happening yeah. on the first time? You're just not getting the energy like you yeah, said. Yeah, it just sounded flat. Yeah. yeah. like So we tracked it where, you know, like we recorded drums first and then we did like bass and guitar and then layered vocals over it. And when we heard it, played back there's just I mean we were really inexperienced at the time as well it was the first time we'd recorded in a proper studio and Mm. it just fell flat it was so flat and I'm so glad that we didn't end up sometimes I think people just sort of think oh well you know it's a body of work let's just chuck it on but it ended up taking us an extra two years I think to release that EP but the result I think with a little bit more experience got back into a studio and this time so the way we've recorded it is live Mm. and then we've dubbed some things over it Mm. you get that you can tell I get that feeling right yeah Yeah. and And there was that's what that song needed yeah and there was things that we were doing like so we recorded it at Golden Retriever with Antonia Gauci and she would we'd spoken to her about how we it was just like lacking this energy and so she would get us to like run around like we'd go for like a run in the park and then like drink a beer and then like you just would play something that was like really fast and then play that song and so it felt like you are actually playing it at the end of a set rather than let's sit here and play it for the 10th time in a studio yeah I love those stories yeah Yeah. it was needed for this song we needed to make space for that song and we needed to give it the energy it deserved so Mm. oh my gosh I'm so glad we stuck (laughs) at it because it's one of my favorites yeah you play at the end your sets yeah our biggest fan don't give that away yeah for sure and okay we'll come back to more about the boys and stuff after but i want to know a little bit about yourselves so i know the band was formed in crinella zoe yes so is that where you're from obviously yeah so i'm from the shire probably 20 minutes away from crinella but that's where all the gigs are well still are there are gigs everywhere but crinella was where kind of hid most rock and stuff yeah nice and tess where are you from I'm from Five Dog. Oh, yeah? Yeah. But it was cool. Like we, Zoe had the boys as a band sort of already and they'd played like a few gigs, had a bunch of songs. I'm not sure how much. I wasn't around. (laughs) I wasn't in Sydney at the time. A couple of years. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then they sort of disbanded. Yeah. And then it wasn't a band. And then Zoe decided she wanted to start it up again. And I just moved back to Sydney and I learned drums in school, like in primary school and had stopped playing for you know, like 15 years or something, 10 years, and then had just decided to play again. And so we, we sort of found each other through my housemate going on a Tinder date with her and she wanted a drummer and my housemate was like, oh, my housemate's learning drums. And so we just met and got on instantly and that's sort of how we decided, like we really wanted to do this and we played a gig as just a two-piece. Nice. <laughs> And then we found other band members, I think, through a friend and through Gumtree. Oh and my then, gosh, we used Gumtree. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, it was the audition process was pretty funny. And then <laughs> <laughs> I drove out 
to Anthea's house. I fully forgot about this. And I like, oh, sat yeah. in her lounge room and played with her. And I remember leaving the house and messaging the girls. And I was like, look no further. I found <laughs> the one. <laughs> yeah, she was great. She was lovely. And then we lost those two members to yeah. various like to life. Yeah, to life and got Hillary and Courtney who were amazing. And so we've been we've been together locked down. For, how long has it been this line? Committed long-term relationship for <laughs> yeah. over a year now. Because Hillary's been with us for just over a year. Courtney's oh, okay. been with us for nearly two years. Yeah. Totally jumped ahead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. It's all important. When you were growing up, so obviously Cronella and Five Dog. Oh yeah. 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 So was music always a part of your life? Oh, always. Always. Since I can remember. My dad was a musician. So my first memories of music are just like sitting on the end of his bed, like trying to play his guitar, which was way too big for me. But I was like, yeah, I'm going to play guitar when I grow up. And it wasn't even my first instrument. I got a piano when I was six. I got a clarinet when I was nine. I got a saxophone when I was 10 or 11. So I've always been a concert band geek. So it really was part of your life. Oh, yeah. massive, <laughs> intrinsic. It really like does feel like a part of my identity. Yeah. What about you, Tess? My parents aren't musical, but I started having piano lessons from, I don't know, when I was maybe like eight or nine or something like that. And I actually kind of hated it, but I, I'm so glad that they got me started on that. They, I mean, I always felt a really special connection to music, like when they would play it, when we would go on road trips, which was just, you know, your classic mum and dad in Australia stuff, which was like Crowded House, Dire Straits, Credence Clearwater. And I always felt so moved by that music, even as a kid. And when I got to primary school, I wanted to play keyboard in, they had a rock band there and I really wanted to play keyboard, but they already had a keyboard player. So they asked me if I wanted to play drums and I'd always wanted to play drums. I just didn't think girls were like, the girls were allowed to play them because they'd never seen a girl drum before. And so I started doing that and there was this awesome rock band that we had that did like covers of the kinks and oh my gosh the, um, what green day not so cool maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and um like bush glycerine wow actually has no drums in it but did you have a name yeah we were called the electric sunflowers oh my god oh, <laughs> that is it's, so yeah. cool powerful hey let's get them back together yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> don't think you need more bands <laughs> no yeah yeah true. yeah actually yeah that's a good point Real White Stripes vibes going on here. You two playing on your own. (laughs) (laughs) So true. So probably know a little bit about Five Dog, but Dan and Quinella, talk to me about that live scene when you were growing up. So obviously you were in music when you were a kid. Mm. Was it as soon as you were old enough, you were out watching music? Yeah, as soon as I was 18. Funnily enough, though, my first gig wasn't in, my first gig of age when I could go to bars and stuff was in the city because I didn't really know any musicians in the area yet. But then once I did start to meet people in frequent shows, it was like clockwork. I'd be at this one venue, El Sol, every Wednesday and every Sunday and you could rock up and there was live music every Wednesday and every Sunday and it was free and it was always filled with young people and nine times out of ten it was a really great band. And then if you weren't there, you were at the Brass Monkey, which was like maybe 100 metres down the road. So And it was just constant. Buzzing by the sound. It was. Yeah. It probably still is now. I'm just not there anymore to see it, but I visit as much as I can. Yeah. And what about from Five Dog? You would go obviously to the city and West and stuff. Yeah, it's funny. I was just so out of that scene. I didn't really know anyone when I was growing up who had, I knew a couple of people who shared the same passion for music, but no one who had any sort of connection to the live music scene. So like I, I went to my first gig when I was, 16 but I think 
it took maybe until I was in my early 20s to start to go to like check out the live music scene in Sydney. But even then it was only like I moved out of Sydney for quite a few years and came back three or four years ago. And it was only from then that I really met the right people to sort of open me up to this world of of this really tight community that is the Sydney live mm. music scene. Yeah, I'm learning a lot about that the more I venture into it as well. It's great. It really is. So you've kind of touched on this already, but, yeah. but the band, the boys. <laughs> so 2016, it started. Do you remember, Zoe, what, like, was it a conscious decision to say, I want to start a band or was it just organically happening? It was so conscious. It was active and I'm trying so hard for years to start a band, but I didn't have any female friends who played instruments and I was always really adamant about playing with my girlfriends. I had heaps of male friends in bands and had kind of tried to join those bands and never really got there. It would feel like it was always a thing. They'd be like, I really need a keyboardist. And I'd be like, oh, guys, I'm really good at that. That's my first instrument. And they'd be like, yeah. And then you'd see like next week at the party, they've got this new guy in the band and he's never even played keys before and I'm sitting there like real cranky and stinky about it. I thought, stuff this, I just want to start a band. And yeah, my friend posted a status being like, we need more female musicians in Cronulla. Dude, tell me, like I'm trying to get something going for ages. He just like set me up with these two random women that I'd never met before. It was like a blind date. I just rocked up to their house and we jammed and we played our gig like two weeks later, first gig two weeks later. So were you in any other bands before that? No, it's just high school. Like I never actually formed a band in high school. Oh, maybe I did. I never performed as a band ever. It was always like concert band singing, jazz singing, all that kind of stuff. That soon changed when you moved up here, right? Oh, (laughs) yeah. How many bands are you in now? Three. Three. (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) So you've got the boys, Dead Witch, which I know about. Yeah. I don't know about the other one. Green Screen. Green Screen. Yeah. It's like pop duo. You look at the photos and I don't know about you, but I feel like we look like like a Scandinavian brother and sister. Like... (laughs) And then we just like do like really corny 80s pop. It's Brilliant. really fun. Yeah, it sounds fun. <laughs> it's great. And Dead Witch is, is that sort of like I was reading the, about you trying to spell psychedelic on your way. <laughs> yeah, is, is that the type of vibes you're going for there? Yeah. Sounds very like grungy psych. Yeah, nice. Yeah. And Tess, what about yourself? I know you're in one other band. Yeah, or? I've there's another project that, I mean, it's playing someone else's songs that got sort of killed during COVID and is going to be brought back to life. Oh but- my God, are you reviving them? Who? Oh, no, no, no. Oh. Not that band. Is that, is that one that that I took <laughs> No, no, no. Rochelle Rochelle's was a band that I was in previously. We were sort of given the permission by this really awesome artist called Nathan Roche to use all of his songs, including unreleased ones. And from that, actually, when that project like reached its, it just achieved all its goals. And so we disbanded. But sort of from that, my other band emerged through, I guess, the singer from Rochelle Rochelle's and I really wanted to keep making music together and so we started this project called Megafauna. It was sort of interesting because as the boys busy before COVID and then that hit and we had all this time off all of a sudden and gave us a chance to start working on other projects. And I think we honestly like just really needed a break. Mm. And so, yeah, Megafauna came from that. So really at the moment I'm just working on those two, the boys and Megafauna. Do you find the other bands are like you need that diversity or does it help with creativity or is it just a completely different approach and it feels like you're putting a lot on yourself to be in a lot of bands mm. and the boys were doing mm. so well beforehand so it's like quite a lot of added pressure I, I think it's like a mixture of things 
because like boys will just always come first. Yeah. And that's been a really open discussion with the bands that I'm in, in that if I have to change plans last minute to do something for the boys and that that's going to be what I have to do. And so it's like you said, it's adding diversity to my creative palette and what I do. I think it's changing possibly and helping the way that I songwrite. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also just great to interact with other artists and learn better skills of communication. I think at the end of the day, it's just going to make me a better musician. I completely agree with that because I think you learn every other band that you play. And I mean, definitely for me being, I have been playing drums now for three and a half years in, well, four years in bands, but just, I mean, that's such a young career. Like that's, there's people who've been doing it for so much longer. And, but for me, every other band that I play in makes, improves my drumming so much, improves my knowledge of music, of how to write songs and of how to like make music as a team. And that's something that I can then see being reflected in the boys and like the boys music is the drums really drive it. And so being like, I can feel myself getting better and like it's very physical drumming and I feel myself getting stronger and stronger, which is just from getting more skills and learning more. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, and it's also, you know, it's so stimulating. Like the more you're doing it, it's sort of, you know, like I would come to rehearsal with the boys and it's like, I'm so on, like my brain is so in the creative mm. zone that it can, you know, make all of that. I guess, like easier and, you know, you come up with more ideas. I remember a friend saying to me about learning or playing instruments is like fireworks going off in your brain. Oh, Oh, massively. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like exercising a muscle. Endorphins getting released at the same time as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's massive. It's huge. Mm. And I think you get that as a fan as well. On the other side, the more you go. You do. You do. And that's a hundred percent what coaxes you up to want to want to be on stage is being like, you know how good it feels to be in the crowd as well. Oh, I, I can imagine. Yeah. Where does the name come from? The boys. Yeah. Very intrigued on this one. Yeah. Yeah. So we were rushed into our first gig, thank goodness, because otherwise I would have been that person who just like never got up. I was terrified. And my friend had called. He was making a poster for the gig and he was like, what are you called? Because we didn't have a name. And so we ruminated. We're like, hey, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Okay, we're the boys. And he'd phoned back. uh, He's like, have you made up your mind? I said, yep, we're called the boys. But we actually intended for it to be B-O-Y-S. And we rocked up to the show and saw the artwork and it was spelled B-U-O-Y-S, like the buoys. Like, that's genius. Yeah. I'm keeping that. (laughs) (laughs) And it stuck and it works. It's like a double entendre. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It works though. It was an accident. Yeah. An accident that I bloody love. Yeah. Sometimes the best things come like that, right? Yeah. I can't claim it. I can't be like, I'm a genius. (laughs) (laughs) So it was 2016 when the boys were formed. Yeah. So you've already kind of touched on the fact that it was 2018 when you formed. There's been a few changes. Mm. Your fourth bass player, I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it fourth? Is it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, because we've had two bassists before, Rose. Oh. There's been heaps of bassists yeah. in, in the history <laughs> of the boys. Yeah. So why did the rest of those bands, if you don't want to talk about that, that's fine, of course, but was it just musical differences or difference to time and place? They weren't ready to come to Sydney? or With the Cronulla band, I'd bought a one-way ticket to London and then one of the girls went over to Japan for a year. Natural then. Yeah. And then when when we got back, we tried to start back up again and then it just wasn't really the same and we had drifted as friends. And at the time we were just playing because we were mates, what had become mates through playing together. So then it just kind of fizzled. But, yeah, moving to the city, I was kind of rebirthed with this determination to keep 
playing those songs that I'd written and I just really wanted to get them out there again. So you started forming new bands. Yeah, yeah. Well, not new, new same yeah. bands. <laughs> yeah. It's a pretty interesting dynamic when you form a band because there's all these different factors that I think can create a, I don't mean, I guess like a functioning band. Yeah, of course. Which is that, you know, you all have to get on to a certain extent, mm. but then you also have to have similar levels of commitment. You know, like there's, you've got to be willing to turn up every week. You have to have, you know, people who are into it and enthusiastic. It's a relationship. It is. It's a relationship. It is. It's like a romantic relationship. You have to be an active communicator. You can't be lazy with communication. You can't yeah. be lazy with commitment. Yeah. It's you amazing. have to pull your weight. Like, you know, you write a song in rehearsal and then everyone has to go away and practice their part so that next time you come back and you need everyone to be doing that and sort of pulling their weight as the team for it to really work. And otherwise it's really hard and we do it because it's fun yeah. and the minute it stops being fun is when it stops being worth it. So when you get a beautiful balance like what I feel we have in the boys, yeah. it's like harmonious. It's and sacred. It's easy. Yeah. Yeah. Can, well, yeah. I can see that when I watch other interviews and the way you interact with each other, it seems like mm. Courtney and Hillary have brought like this like sort of energy to you guys as well, yeah. and obviously with yourself. Is that what they bring to the band? I feel like they bring balance. I don't know. There's something about all four of us where all four of us are so different. Mm. And so that just means that there's not two people who are too similar. Yep. And therefore we all just, it's like a beautiful melting pot of differences. And who agree on, who seem, who seem, seem to, to agree, agree on, on the common goal. Yeah. Of, yeah. Of have fun. We write really harmoniously. So all of those things that you need to have in common, we do. But everything else, I think mm. we're all really different. We all have very different musical influences. Mm. And I think like our, we have very different roles in how we write music and how we organize things. And that's really cool because it sort of means that, you know, we all really respect each other. And so it would be kind of boring if everyone had the same ideas. That would be sort of boring. It'd be, boring. Yeah, it'd be challenging that, each other. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so that's how they bring the energy is by bringing differences and means that we can all be a little bit more creative rather than just it's something yeah. out that we've already done before. And they're super talented as well. Oh, right? my gosh. By the way, so I'm, I'm talking about them in this way because they're not here. Yeah, you, yeah, you're yeah. very talented as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They are incredible. They are incredible. And it's been interesting when, you know, when we've gotten new members because somehow each time we've gotten people who I suppose have, you know, more experience in live music and – I mean, like our previous members were really amazing. They're really great at their instruments. But these, I guess it's kind of been like Courtney has bass player, current bass player has been in bands for years. And Hillary, our lead guitarist, is a professional jazz guitarist. She is insane. Now like, it makes a bit more sense. <laughs> yeah, like when saying. people say to us like, hey, your lead guitarist is really good. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah we she's know. actually, I mean, she won some award of like amazing. She is great, ridiculous. She's insane. Yeah. She's insane. Yeah. But it means I think that it's really every time you get a new member that has a greater skill level, the rest of you just rise up for it. And yeah. I think that's been, I mean, particularly with Hillary, she brings so much and it's, I mean, I'm not sure, Zoe, if, if you feel the same, but I definitely feel for myself that I've really lifted my game because, you know, you know, you don't want to be the person that is like being oh, dragged behind. I, def no, I definitely feel like I have lifted my game. I practice guitar a lot more than Do I you? used to. That's, well, yeah, because yeah. oh, when I get in a room with Hillary and I have to play guitar in front of her, I'm like, <laughs> must be really good at guitar. Yeah. And I'm like, look, Hillary and I play guitar really differently. I like, she's so like, oh. 
I can't even put it into words. And I'm really like rough handed, like really heavy rhythm, mm. like rock guitar. And so I don't feel different in my style. I just, I feel like she's taught me diligence. Mm. She's taught me that practice is actually really important. But she's I, probably had that professional training sort of yeah, come about. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like, it's not like I didn't practice before. It's just more that now, like, I think before it was like, okay, I've got to be good for a show. But yeah, there is a little element of like, oh, I'd really love to like make Hillary proud by finally getting that thing right. <laughs> well, it's yeah, it's funny because I think I thought have the attitude, you know, be punk, like have the attitude of a musician. Like, I mean, I practice the fuck out of drums. Like yeah. that's the only reason I know I can play is because I'll be like, this is what I want to play and I'm going to practice it and then I can play it live. And then, you know, that's how it works. But you know, maybe it doesn't seem that cool to like be practicing your instrument, but then you talk to someone like Hillary or some of our other friends who are from the conservatorium and now playing in bands like, you know, like Lime Cordial or like Julie Jacqueline, these people who are amazing jazz, you know, formerly jazz musicians. And they all practice, they practice, you know, for hours a day. And it's so awesome because, you know, of course you should practice. That's yeah, how you course. get good. <laughs> and it's your passion. So And it comes back to the enjoyment factor yeah. as well. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Something you enjoy doing and like oh, you don't mind getting home and jumping on the drum kit. No, no I love it. It's the best neighbors. part of the day. Yeah. 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 <laughs> my neighbours might not like it so much. Like three PM again. Oh my god. Actually my neighbours so do. Kirsten, my housemate, works from home. I mean, it'd be hilarious if they were talking about her, but they, they couldn't have been, they, would, they had to have been talking about me. No one in, else in the house sings. And sorry, Kirsten, you're tone yeah. deaf. Um, <laughs> but they'd said, who's that person that always goes into the backyard and sings? Because like when I'm hanging yeah. up my clothes, I'm always singing. And Kirsten was like, oh, was it me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's um, so funny. But yeah, my neighbours have complimented it and just been like, oh, Kirsten's like, oh, sorry if it's too loud. And they're like, no, please sing all the time. Do yeah, it. <laughs> I, I don't mind hearing like an instrument coming from a neighbor or something. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah. It makes me happy. It's so funny, except for drums though, right? Like, I don't know. To no, me, no. It <laughs> so where I, where I grew up, so there was no road access. And the first house on the road after the walk, you'd be filled with like a lot of endorphins from the exercise. And there was this person who played drums from this house constantly and I always imagined that, you know, that song, it might have been, oh, who was it? There's a girl who plays the drums late at night, oh, yeah. but that's the kind of girl I like. Maybe I should take her out. Who is it? Drive her home. And I hear those drums late at night. I know I'm in love with the girl who lives two doors down. Oh, I think I'm yeah. in love with the girl who lives. Anyway, I used to imagine. And it goes like this breakdown session. was like, Two doors down. down. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm in love with. No, the bit it's where not. you said, I think I'm in love is the bit I where think I was I'm like, in love with the girl. Oh yes. my God, I don't know who it is. Oh my God, it's like on two more times. Mystery Jets. Yeah. Oh, yes. I used to imagine that the person who was drumming was a like, really hot girl and that she would become my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. Then I would just walk to school. <laughs> <laughs> so we were talking about Hillary. Mm. Yes. <laughs> and I was watching that empty room sessions that you did in, in Mary's. It was amazing. Like she just like, oh. she captured me there. I was like, wow, that's unbelievable. And there was a video that you have on YouTube. When researching guests, I just go on this deep dive, which is amazing. And you're recording in someone's house. I'm not sure whose it is. Huh. And Hillary goes up and does her part, does the lead. And she just kind of absolutely thrashes it out and just kind of like, uh, I haven't what? seen this. Done. This is what it was like <laughs> the first time we played. We were actually quite worried because we, we've rehearsed together and she seemed like, so chill, like barely moved, like played 
fucking eloquently like perfect couldn't play any better but was just like a bit more held back and we're really ruckus so we were like oh I wonder what it's going to be like and she was pretty reserved playing there comes up to a solo and she literally steps forward like in front of the foldbacks lifts her guitar into the air and like points the neck down at people in the crowd and is like shredding this solo <laughs> yeah. and I remember just being like it was like this <laughs> <laughs> And also, like, I think especially for the first, you know, few, like, six months, I guess, that we were playing with her, you'd get to, a po- like, a point in the song where there's a guitar solo and we were amazed with it from before and she would, like, lift that bar even higher and you'd kind of lose where you were in the song because you'd just be focusing on, on like, She's in awe. made a tweak or something. Or yeah, yeah, like, doing something different like that. She's so She's amazing. So cool. and, yeah, watching her... Really, like, I mean, I think in jazz it's so different. Like, you're very stationary and also it's maybe not as, like, the crowd don't, like, scream, I guess, when you do a solo. I do, when I've watched Hillary. We get to the UK and everyone, they start singing the lead solos over there. (laughs) (laughs) I want to ask you another question. On Wiki it says that you had a change of direction in sound. Was that band members going out and just the new members coming in that sort of prompted that? I feel like it was a massive mix of things. There were a few members who had moved out but those songs were actually going to be released when we were all still in that I call it boys 2.0 like the first city version of the boys it was more that we'd recorded those songs dubbed studio style and then went on like our first couple of tours and just gained so many skills as live musicians that we were like we listened back to them and we were like it just didn't do the songs justice and then by the time we had the time to get in the studio again We'd just been so busy with tours that we didn't have time. By the time we were able to get back into the studio, those songs were just really, it felt like songs like of the we'd past. we'd outgrown them. And I, I, they're songs I still really love to play, but to me, I definitely do hear them and I hear like young Cronulla girl goes to El Sol every Wednesday and Sunday. <laughs> and I love her and I love the songs that she wrote, but it didn't sound good to release those next to the songs that we had been touring yeah, for the sense. last few years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. development of the band basically, the yeah. evolution mm, yeah. really. Yeah. yeah. Now what I want to talk to you about is touring. So pre-COVID you were this sort of up and coming band making a real reputation and name for yourself on the live scene, mm. nominated for awards and all sorts as well, right? What fascinates me over here, and we kind of touched on it when we spoke about Sydney being a bit smaller than I think it is anyway, mm. uh, more of a community. In the UK, you can drive a couple of hours and you're in a different city. Yeah, right? jealous. Oh my gosh. And same for the fans <laughs> as well. So when you're trying to make it as a band over here, is it you've got to capture your own your home audience, mm. then branch mm. out from there? Is that kind of like the way in which you approach it? I feel like if you look at the boys' timeline from day dot, it was about capturing the Shire. And then usually how it starts from there is, I remember always the dream was like, okay, we've got to play our first show in the city and we played our first few shows in the city. And I was like, now we've got to capture the CBD or the inner west and catch the people closer and not just the suburbs. And so, yeah, you go from the suburbs to the city and then now that we're a city band, in my eyes, having moved from the Shire, I think it depends where your audience lands and whoever ends up reaching out. Like I always end up just talking to people on Instagram. And if I end up talking to enough people from a certain area, I'm like, we've got to play them or we've got to go here. Like for us, I think we've always really identified as a live band. And I think our goals are like, I remember when we, when Zoe and I first sort of met up and started talking and I was wanting to know, you know, like, What are we trying to do with this project? And the goal was like, let's just play. We just want to play gigs around Sydney. Like, you know, let's just 
try and play, play gigs. gigs. Correction, yeah. play gigs. <laughs> I want to play gigs everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> but like it was this really like let's just try and like, you know, give it a go, I guess. We got so many opportunities to really like refine our live show. But I think in terms of like touring and so going to different cities, what was best for us was getting on board. Like the first tour that we did was with Peter Bibby, who's a Perth artist. And going to these different cities, supporting someone else is the best way because you're getting, these people are all there to see that band. But by being sort of piggybacked along, it Mm. means that you start to develop a fan base in these different cities. Mm. And so from that, you know, we sort of started then getting our foot in the door in Wollongong and in Newcastle as well, which and Canberra as well. And Canberra, yeah, yeah, that have a great, they all have a great live music yeah. scene. I think going to Melbourne was a bit harder actually. And then. Because of the scene or the distance? I think there wasn't a scene that we'd found that we could fit into just yet. Yeah. And even still, I don't know if there is a hundred percent a scene that the boys really hundred percent fit into in Melbourne, but we definitely finally cracked the crowd when we played there with the Pisties. Uh, is it their version of Crowbar? It yeah. looks like Crowbar. I don't know if it's called Crowbar, but we'd never played to a better Melbourne crowd. That was Pissed Idiots. That was Pissed Idiots. Yeah. Even though I still don't feel like we have a scene that we mesh with fully yet, like with our sound, there are people we gel with in the area and who are friends and who would support us. Because there's definitely an audience down there, right? For, for, there is. For yeah. most bands in Melbourne. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. It just took us a while to get there with Melbourne, I think. I think as well, you know, it's hard. Like in Sydney, we know the scene and we know the venues so well that you sort of know the venues that are good to play and are going to get a good crowd and have vibe. And when you're going to a different city, you don't know that. So if you're being booked to play, you know, like it's really hard being a live band and playing a venue that has bad sound, whether it's bad sound for you on stage as the artist or bad sound for the audience, but or a place that just has like a weird vibe. There's some venues that are just always going to be really difficult to play. And I think because there's so many music venues in Melbourne, it's kind of hard. And in, in those sort of bigger cities, it's hard to know which are the ones that we you know it's going to be easiest to play a good gig at. Yeah, if you don't know it like, you know, the Sydney scene, then of course yeah. it's natural, right? Yeah. 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 So many venues in Sydney that, not so many, but there's a bunch of venues in Sydney that I just put in the too hard basket. They're too sort of too hard, not worth it. And I don't know what they are in, yeah. in Melbourne. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just an extension of what you were saying, Zoe, right? So you've got the Shire, then yeah. it's the, the city, then yeah. it's the inner west, and mm. then it's like Wollongong, then it was Newcastle, yeah. Yeah. Melbourne. Yeah. Where do we stop? Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> we we never stop. Yeah. yeah. Can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> And please don't, right? Yeah. <laughs> so some of those support tours that you had, Death Rays and Violent Soho, you were meant to go with Spacey Jane as well, weren't you? Yeah. And we'd done a few shows. Of course, that's when COVID just popped off. So that was, that. we were gutted. We were so excited to do that tour. But what was, I can't remember the last one we'd done. It was maybe Wollongong. And then that was the last weekend of shows. We'll get to COVID, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. And what about those other support tours? Which ones stand out? Oh, the DZ tour. That yeah. was pretty amazing. It was our yeah. first Australian tour. We did a regional one with all them over. first. Yeah, then the Australian tour was all capital cities. Yeah. Oh, except Hobart. Yeah. But like we got to go to Perth with them and that's a pretty incredible opportunity. But the greatest thing about doing that is it was DZ Death Rays and Polish Club Polish and Club Void. And <laughs> Void. And oh uh, yeah, I forgot there was four of us. And it was really beautiful. You just feel you know, build these really great friendships. Yeah. We were one really big artists. family. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. So much. Yeah. And like yeah. they just 
Daisy were just so kind and generous and encouraging to us. Like, you know, there's some bands that you can tour with or you can, you know, play a support show with and there's their gear and there's your gear and, you know, there's their dressing room and there's yours and you might get like a couple of cans of beer or something whereas they've got like some spread. And there was just this really beautiful attitude of, you know, like of sharing everything and, you know, everyone hangs around. Like we, we did everything together. We did everything together. Yeah, we'd we'd watch each other's unit. shows every night instead of you know sometimes. There's I've heard of bands touring together who ha- basically haven't don't even talk to each other. They've never seen each other's set, but it was just so unlike that. We had all of our touring experiences have been so incredibly positive. Yeah, we've gotten really um, lucky. We've toured with some legends. Yeah, yeah like Pistidiots were awesome. Yeah. As so, well, Peter Bibby was incredible. Clearly, you love touring then, being on the oh, road. Love it. Yeah. Love it's it. like, it's so hard sometimes, and it's really getting each other like, you know, those really early mornings when you go to an airport and then. We're you know, fine early go. mornings. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I went. I was speaking on behalf of the band there. I <laughs> love an early morning. Yeah. Yeah. But Hillary and Courtney struggle. I went on my first out of Sydney show with my other band and I was up at 5 a.m. And I was polite enough to not wake everyone up. And I saw someone kind of roll over at 7.30 and I was like, oh, my God, yes, someone to talk to. And I, I was just laying there the whole time being like, oh, I wish Tess was here. Because <laughs> we're always up first thing in the morning. I love to uh, – I love it more now that we're flying instead of driving because, yeah. like you said, in mm. England it's a few hours yeah, and you're in another major city in Australia. I think the worst drive we, I, for me personally was Sydney to Brisbane. Brisbane is one of my favourite cities and I love it so much, but driving there – after working a full-time working week and then driving home and doing another full-time working week is Uh, actual mm, torture. for sure. Yeah. It's pretty funny. I don't know. There's Touring is so fun, but there's this really unromantic side to it, which is that you spend 90% of your time waiting for like waiting for shit to happen. That's you true. You get to the airport and Wait you're just bags. waiting and then you get to like the other side of the airport and then you go to sound check at like 4 p.m. and are just waiting there until. And you go to your hotel room, you wait for your key. You wait like <laughs> it's just, but it, it's sort of in that space as well when you just, you build these really incredible friendships because there's so much time to just talk about shit. Like. <laughs> What do you think happens when you die? <laughs> is there is that a, a late night conversation? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, oh, we've gone, you know, we've gone some really weird places before. <laughs> and it's really great to build these sort of bonds, which is is cool because when then when you get on stage, it's like you're so much, you have this like deeper connection. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when we're at our best, is when we're in each other's company a lot. Yeah, agreed. The power of the boys, I think, is our like really strong on connection on stage with each other. Yeah. And is stronger when we've been spending more time together. So touring's me, great for that. Look at me deeply in the eyes when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> I love you too. Um, I actually love that you brought that up because something I'm trying to do on this podcast is give people a bit of an insight into, you know, everything that goes on with touring, not just from the mm. artist side, the fan side, the people mm. who put it on and stuff I was saying. I've you know interviewing guitar technicians. I've photographer the other week you know so I want to give a bit more perspective so I love that you brought that into it because I think it's quite easy for people to look at it and go they smash a gig they get pissed probably lie in and then they get up and do it again like Mm. where it's not there's a lot more to it than that yeah there's a lot I saw this beautiful meme it was like oh my god you're in a band you must have seen some amazing places in the world and it's a picture of the back of a car seat an airport yeah yeah backstage 
and then like a pillow because waiting, sleeping yeah. or moving there's not a lot of time to do like beautiful like traveling and exploring. Yeah. It's just like being in dingy places together in confined spaces mm. on top of each other and like thank gosh we love each other. Or like <laughs> where a few times you where are we gonna sleep tonight? I don't know. Let's oh, work it out later. Yeah. And we've done that before and like we plan, okay, if, uh, we'll just sleep in the back of my car. And this was like up on the central coast. And one of the Pisties boys who we were on tour with Pisties at the time were like, oh, where are you girls staying? Like we were walking home, I say in yeah. inverted commas, to my car. And they're like, no, you you can't do that. We've got a spare room here, like have this key. And we ended up getting this massive hotel room with two super king beds. You know the ones where you yeah. can actually lay sideways yeah. <laughs> with like – gowns, slippers, and an ocean view. Yeah, incredible. It was amazing. It was so good. But there's some really great, like, I think, like, just thinking of um, of touring insights, the thing that I love is the oversized baggage claim at airports. Yes. It's just a hub. <laughs> like, I'm it's so like- excited to go to oversized baggage because you're always like, who am I going to bump into today? And, yeah. and a lot of times, you know, it'll be like we've, we've- – I reckon we've run into the chats like four times yeah. at baggage. Yeah. And like we're coming back from somewhere, they're coming back from somewhere, completely different sides of Australia. And it's like, ah, oh, you again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or like, you know, there'll be bands that maybe you, you don't know them, you haven't recognised them, but you start chatting and, you know, you kind of form these relationships with people through that. And That's it's how we met Stive. The, he did sound for Didiri and I remember. Yeah. yeah. It's so funny. That. You always meet these people at baggage. Yeah. It's such a nice place. It's my favourite part of an airport. Well, I guarantee I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love what you were saying though, Zoe, about the, all the free time and, and the sort of thing. All I could hear there is sort of dedication and commitment. And, you mm, know, massive. Because you yeah. have to, because it could be quite easy, I think, to go and do that and go, you know, screw this. It's a, oh, it's a lot of work. 100%. Yeah. I think a lot of people underestimate just how much patience and dedication goes into being a band. It's not just like perform, like you said, party, get pissed, wake up, do it again. It's rehearsals, it's yep. travel time, it's getting enough rest so that you can perform well again the next day. And also we're all doing this while we're working. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, I think when we did that DZ Death Rays Australian tour, so like Zoe, you were working Monday to Thursday? Monday to Friday. Oh, but when you were on tour. Monday to Friday. Oh, it was Monday to Friday. <laughs> and, and I had, so at that time I was – writing up my PhD thesis, but also doing a master's course online full time. And so I would get to the airport at really early in the morning so I could be in class to sit at the airport and do two hours of classes and get on a plane in my break, go to the next city where I would then get back on my laptop so I could be in class. You couldn't miss any of it. And, you know, while doing assignments on the weekends, like I'd sort of get dressed early in the morning so that it's the minute I finished class I could just go straight to sound check and then perform and then get up in the morning and do my assignments and then during the week I had clinical placement and so it was kind of like it's funny because particularly so Zoe and I are both scientists and have this sort of medical field of work and it's just really like to fall back on just yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's really it's like leading a double life in a way like <laughs> I sometimes I'd be in I'd sort of be dressed for these gigs yes <laughs> in class doing like medical sort of role play type things and then it's just like you know five o'clock comes and like close the laptop next life Oh, I had a patient going. at work call me Hillary Duff. You get the best of both <laughs> yeah. worlds. And I, but mine's the opposite. I, I can't be gig ready at work. So sometimes I'll rock up to like rehearsal or I'll like get to the airport from being on tour and I'm in like my kind of 
corporate where like you've got to look really nice for patients and be presentable. Can't just come with my mm. frizzy hair and band t-shirt. That wouldn't like that. <laughs> so it's also kind of funny because I would feel like, you know, you've lived this whole separate life over the weekend. You've seen your colleagues, the like you've worked Monday to Friday or to Thursday with them. And then you'll be like, what did you do on the weekend? And they, you know, oh, just you know, went out for lunch and slept in. And what have you done? You've been in two different states. (laughs) You've played three shows and like, you know, met all these amazing people. And then you're just back at work work. the next day is, you know, on Monday as if nothing had happened. It's (laughs) It's definitely whiplash. It's a hard thing to get into the mind of a scientist and someone who has to like consult with patients and then switch into the I'm the front woman of a rock band. (laughs) I don't actually think I switched that much. I think I am a nerd on stage and in life as well. But it's more in terms of being professional. Like I have definitely had Monday mornings where they'd be like, hey, so how's your week? And I'd be like, fucking awesome. I mean, (laughs) I mean, whoops. (laughs) (laughs) Can I ask a question though? If the boys got massive and super successful. Oh, I'd leave it all. Don't tell my parents that. Don't tell my boss that. I love love (laughs) you so much, Monica and Grace, but yeah. Well, they edit that out or you just (laughs) tell them not to listen to that section. (laughs) I think they know that. I know that. And also my boss is so supportive of my career it's incredible when I need to take a half day to do stuff for band mm. or whatsoever she's 100% supportive of it yeah good. yeah I feel like I've spent so long well not so long but I've put so much you know passion and energy into building this amazing you know music life that I have And it's not going to last forever. Like, I mean, some musicians have incredible longevity in their career, but this particular thing that we're doing of like getting these incredible opportunities and life is so exciting. And I know that it's not going to be like that forever. So I'm just tend to go through life with having low expectations so that when things exceed my expectations, I'm happy. It's kind of like, it sounds pessimistic, but it means that I'm constantly just, I want to keep doing it. The minute it stops is, you know, okay, that's fine. And that will happen one day, but I want to follow that ride until mm. it ends. Like it says I'm, it has mm. to end. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the way that I look at it is I don't even really like to look at the end, whether it's going to keep going or whether it's going to stop just like the right here and now. I think when you get given an opportunity, you should just take it. Yeah. And that's exactly oh, yeah. how we do it. It's like, yeah, why wouldn't I do this thing that's going to be super fun? Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> and I think that's the other thing about, you know, picking being a good working, functioning band is that you all have to have that same, there's the same sort of level of desire to drop everything mm. to yeah, do something yeah, yeah. because you know what, you've got to take days off work and there might be that trip that you planned with your friends but you've been offered this gig and you can't say no and so yeah. there's – Yeah, you're on the same page, right? Yeah. Well, our first ever – tour the first time we'd ever done a string of shows with mon artist was peter bibby we did a regional new south wales <laughs> tour and i changed my flights to come i'd been working like 60 70 hour weeks doing shift work over time it was the most insane job i've ever had also a very mentally taxing job uh, traumatic almost and i was like i just need a holiday it was my first holiday in forever and we got offered this tour and i was like mm. yeah. but i'm like this could be our first opportunity to get experience touring exactly. as a band. And I just knew how important that would mm. be. So, yeah, I changed my flights, came home early. And then same thing happened 12 months later. I was um, in Japan and I came home That's early right. for a tour. I can't remember which. That was the regional DZ tour I think I came oh, home yeah. early for. And I would do it again. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. 
It's kind of like what we were saying. I think it's similar with the podcast. I've got a full-time job as well. Mm. And I was like, I'm going to start a podcast. And people are saying to me, when are you going to do it? Okay, but you just find the you time. You just do it. You just find, like, yeah. you make the time. That's yeah. the it's like when you're studying, you find the time. Yeah. 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 And no one's going to make that time for you but you. Yeah. yeah just don't so, watch TV or just don't do something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe you, we probably don't watch as much TV, Netflix and stuff as other people. Actually, Actually so you watch heaps Squeeze of Netflix. Say <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so you find the time. The girl that can do it all. She still watches six hours of Netflix a week. Say you can always find the time. Yeah. Always. What's sleep? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's an incredible attitude from both of you there as well. So COVID obviously mm. kicked in. I'm super interested to find out the strategy and your approach because I've spoken to a couple of bands recently who said we would have had an album out by now. Mm. They're probably their first album as well. And they sort of drip fed singles. Now you released your EP, All This Talk Gets Us Nowhere. Yeah. It, was that always the plan or did it sort of tweak along the way? It was the plan. The, the EP was meant, to, the only thing COVID really did was take away a tour that, that, the tour with Spacey, but we didn't really get a chance to properly tour All This Talking Gets Us Nowhere EP. Um, so there, there would have been a lot more shows and weight behind it, which would have helped us with um, that kind of energetic trajectory. But we were also planning to do Big Sound for a second yeah. time, um, this time having our focus be international because we wanted to get some contacts to go overseas. Brilliant. So I think had COVID not been in the way, we'd in the works to either going to the UK or America maybe not this year, but next year, it, it would be in the works. Yep. There would be tickets booked. There would be things planned set in stone already now had, yeah, had COVID not been the way. Yeah, it was a pretty interesting time. Like we were just running hot. Like we were playing so many shows and. Not slowing down. And not slowing down. <laughs> yeah. And when COVID hit, it was, you know, like the Spacey Tour was postponed. And really it was kind of an interesting time because that was, really disappointing but suddenly like we were so busy in you know navigating all these these different lives that we're living simultaneously and then suddenly we just had all this time off and I think we really needed it part of me I mean I don't know would we have burnt out if we were still running at the same rate I don't think Probably so not but it was interesting because we ended up having all this sort of time off and I was on the south coast so the whole for the whole of lockdown and so we weren't even rehearsing and we were catching up as a band. But then when I came back to Sydney and there were no shows at all, it gave us time and space to write a really good new EP. And that was something that we weren't really able to fit in while we were touring with songwriting. And we've got this EP that's coming out in mid-year. I don't know. The no, first singles, no. The first singles end of May. the year. End of the year. End right. of the year. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And, but we wrote and recorded this whole EP and it took us years to do the All This Talking Gets Us Nowhere. And not years of writing. It, yeah. the, the songs are, the, are done, it's a matter of just finding the studio time. Yeah, we never okay. had this type yeah. of studio yeah. time. Yeah. And, you know, I think for me I've definitely seen us as a live band and this was an opportunity for us to focus on getting some really good recordings and I'm so proud of this next body of work. And so that's something really positive that's come out of it. But, you know, it's hard because I think when people talk about momentum with bands, I think it's less about momentum in terms of like popularity and, and getting more gigs. It's also about your momentum with your bandmates and writing songs because you've got this routine and you're getting stronger and stronger and then losing like stronger and stronger as in you know the music that you're playing with each other and then to lose to have things interrupt that has been I think 
kind of difficult and and what we sort of realized from it was that you know first we have to spend time together and then we that's when we can really start writing good songs yeah again. have that connection in the studio yeah and you get in there yeah that's amazing then so it's a real blessing in disguise really to get in there and record those tracks yeah i mean i'd take live you, you would have shows to have found time right? it's a silver lining yeah it's yeah. a silver lining yeah yeah so it's interesting we talk about that break, but what I wanted to talk about is festivals and the importance and building mm. up that sort of fan base because you guys were killing it before that, right? Yeah. Before COVID kicked in. So I wanted to ask about how important you think festivals are for an up-and-coming band. And obviously with that not being there, do you think that's had an impact? I think my experience of festivals has been purely selfish. Like it's they're, they're just so fun. You see way more friends in bands. Instead of playing on like a three-bill lineup, you're seeing like, 40 potential other bands as friends. In terms of building a crowd, I mean, absolutely, because the thing about festivals is sometimes you're just getting ring-ins who aren't necessarily there to watch you, just similar to if they're going to see a particular headliner on a tour, they might see you as the opener or there's main support. But at a festival, they might just be there to see one band and think, I'm just going to laze about and just see who I run into. So, yeah, I think it's an amazing way for people to discover you and also just see you in that beautiful, raw, energetic mm. setting because there's something really beautiful about festivals. You just get a little bit more ruckus. And yeah, because yeah, people are warmed up and they're ready to have a good time. Whereas, you know, at a gig sometimes it can be a little bit more like people are standing there with their arms crossed, but people, you know, go to a festival like ready to have a great time. But I think, I mean, there's been... A bunch of festivals. I think Festival of the Sun, a pretty memorable one, definitely fairgrounds and mm. playing Party in the Paddock in Tassie. They were all festivals that when people will come up to us and, and have a chat and they'll say, oh, I saw you for the first time at one yes, of these exactly festivals. Right. Yeah. That's really awesome. And I think the other thing that I love about festivals is the opportunity to make friends with a bunch of bands because there's these backstage areas and you know, everyone's just hanging out there and it can be hanging out for a couple of days. And so you form these great friendships and that's always going to be a positive thing because, you know, when you become friends with other bands, maybe you end up playing shows with them. Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, about building a community, I suppose. But all of that's just if... I mean, we're not, we're the sort of band that like sticks around for the party. I was going to ask you that. (laughs) Like we're not really a fly in, fly out kind of band. We want to be there for the the whole whole time. And it's cool because then sometimes you end up partying with people that have seen your show. You know, like people come up to you and be like, oh, I saw you guys and it was great. And and you have a chat and then you see them around and, and there's, you know, a bunch of people of, you know, who we know in different states now who we know because they saw us play and, you know, you, it's not because you're trying to build a fan base. It's just a, a sort of this extra bonus, I guess, that happens when you can part with your fans. Yeah, and that's where it came from. When I was pondering this question and thinking about festivals, I was thinking from my own point of view as a fan, like I talked to you before about discovering music and just going down these rabbit holes. Mm. And festivals was one of my things is go and watch whoever's on. Like yeah. you're, you're there yeah, yeah. and it's, it's going to be fun and there's going to be people around. You're going to chat to people yeah. as well. And then I was like, geez, yeah, I am missing out on like, it's all well and good listening to it on Spotify and things. But mm. when you see people live, you really understand the band. hundred yeah. percent. Absolutely. I felt like quite important from a fan's point of view, obviously. But from your point of view, I thought there was even more importance to actually build that trajectory as well mm. and connection that you've just described. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's, if you like a festival enough, you know that they're going to curate a good lineup. And so if you can get a spot on that lineup, knowing that people are going to accidentally run into your music, take it. Yeah. Because then you're also going to meet other bands, like Tess said, that you could potentially go on tour with simply because you had an incredible connection with yeah. them. 
plus you saw them live and they smash mm. it and you're like, great. Yeah, they watch you and then go, do you hear? Do you yeah. want to yeah. yeah. hang out? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Around yeah. Australia. <laughs> Speaking about all those experiences, it doesn't have to be like the boys. As artists, what's your best live experience? When we played Fairgrounds, it just, we were playing on two main stages and we were on the smaller of the two. And I think a lot of people, it was just absolutely packed out. And when you don't, you know, sort of like, is anyone going to come and see us? I don't know. It was so packed out. And when you see a band on a smaller stage, there's definitely lower expectations than when there's a bigger stage. And I think being surrounded by people as well, I don't know if it contains the sound because that that stage people can sort of sit on these tiered things on the side. It's like, it's actually like a cattle show ring or something is what the actual purpose of this area is where we were playing. But For me, that show, I felt, you know, like we'd, when we're playing a good show, I mean, I think this is the beauty of the boys playing live is I feel like, you know, it's like all of our powers combined. It's like this big ball of energy that we create and, you know, it like, it sort of snowballs and grows and then we like can project it out and shoot it out over this audience. And I was just playing that show just being you know with this huge grin on my face thinking holy shit this is the most incredible feeling like we were just fucking killing it and we knew it like it was so good like bottle that up and that is me at every show which I'm gonna be one of those annoying people that's like I can't pick one because they're all awesome but from the bottom of my heart they are all awesome like I Oh, and Zoe, no, there's some real highlights. What about Halloween? Oh, well, yeah, Halloween was incredible. Because oh, so <laughs> Halloween was going to be, like I was going to say, would be one of my favourites. Yeah. Because we have just like started playing some newer songs. This was at the Factory Theatre in Marrickville. So the stage is huge. The room was huge. It was the first time we ha- were allowed to have that many people in a room because of COVID. So I think there might have been like 200 people in there, unheard of. And it just sounded like being hit with this like wall of like beautifully mixed sound. And a lot of my friends came up to me after and said it felt like we were in a stadium yes. and, and we were performing like we were in a stadium. We were like, oh, it was just like this ray of light. It was so good. And we so also good. like, because it was Halloween, we dressed up as the Backstreet Boys and we like walked on to Backstreet's back and yeah. then like oh, between our set we were playing like little snippet songs like – don't you open that <laughs> trap door. <laughs> and there'd be things like that. Or I don't know. We really just, just having so much fun. Yeah, that was one of those ones. You know what we're talking about before as well? There's a lot of pent up energy mm. because of COVID, right? Mm. So in these last two weeks that we've just had, we're back, You're we're allowed to dance, it. people are in. So everyone's ready to explode. Yes. Oh, everyone's so I've exploded. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scattered all around Sydney. <laughs> Splattered all over the wall. Same here. Tell me about yeah. my voice sounds a bit like. Oh my gosh, <laughs> yes. I had to take two days off just to get my voice back. Yeah. I, yeah. I was saying to a friend, it's, I feel like the city's ready to pop. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just, I feel that. And there's a lot of work going into like venues and music creation and stuff like that as well. I just feel like we're in a really fortunate position. Mm, and, absolutely. And I think the UK is going to get there as well obviously I've got a close link to there as well and I feel like they're just a little bit behind but they're ready to pop as well yeah like, the energy is incredible at the moment when you're going out in Sydney everyone's just so wanting to dance and I'm just happy to be here yeah, yeah. 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 everyone's yeah. stoked yeah. It's and great. everyone wants a ticket to something yeah yes. it's just, yeah it's just great absolutely I think you got there Zoe that was a good answer <laughs> <laughs> right so let's talk about the importance of live music so I want to know your first gig and I was very impressed, by the way, at the start when you were talking about your first gigs, you didn't actually mention who it was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we didn't want to. Do you want to go first? Yes. I was in year five. So 
I would have been like 10, no, 11 years old. And my best friend and I saved up Coke labels to win tickets to go see. We were getting the tickets because she wanted to see. Was this like Jebediah? They wanted to see, no, she wanted to see the Veronicas. They were her all-time favorite band. And I was a bit of an emo kid. So the Living End were playing, but After the Fall were opening. (laughs) And I don't know if you remember After the Fall, but it was like, yeah. Yeah, It was like all the emo kids loved it. So that was my first show and it was just hilarious. I was a child, so, yeah, maybe 11, so I had to be chaperoned. Uh-huh. <laughs> Did you walk out like, give me some of that? I just felt like I was the coolest person yeah. in the world. Yeah. I came out of it being like, oh, my gosh, I've just seen bands? Yeah. Who does that? That's amazing. Can you self-test? My first gig was going to see Grinspoon at the Enmore Theatre. I think I was 16. It was for their new detention tour and – it completely changed my life. I just had no idea how good live music could be and it blew me away. And I just, I knew that I needed so much more of that. Yeah, it's also a funny, we've had some. I had the pleasure of watching Tess watch oh. Grinspoon <laughs> in Brisbane. I um, love Grinspoon so much. <laughs> and I actually have, to never forget this moment, I have videos on my phone of Tess. She was so taken by it that she didn't even know I was filming her and she's just smiling and she's mouthing all the words and she was smiling so hard. And it, all the words. It just melted my heart seeing my best friend that happy. Yeah, Grinspoon. Best, your passion's yeah. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, this is, here's a little story for you as well, but we, so Grinspoon were like a huge, I love them. I think they're a really great band. And when we were on tour with DZ in Brisbane with DZ oh no well first we um we played a gig in Newcastle and someone came up to us after and said that Phil Jamison was in the crowd Mm. and that he wanted to buy a t-shirt of ours but they and I sent him one in the post yeah yeah Yeah. but they closed the merch desk or whatever and so we knew that he knew who we were because he was at this gig and then when we were in Brisbane with DZ that was when Grinspoon were doing their stadium sort of tour. So this was like, was it two years ago now? Was it probably? Uh, I don't know, a yes. year ago? It feels like it should, I should say last year, but it was obviously longer ago. BC. Yeah, can't have been the like whole it. COVID. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a great one. That's though. the first time I've ever I, heard I, that. I know. Did yeah. you come up with that? No. Oh. <laughs> I wish I could say so, that so I came up with that. You. <laughs> you get that into a song somehow. Though. Yeah. <laughs> You know, we got tickets to this Grinspoon gig, but we don't have door spots for everyone. And so we DM'd Phil Jamison's personal Instagram and said like, hey, we're the boys. Like, we really want to come to your show. Any chance we can get some door spots? And then we were playing this matinee show with DZ and we walked, you know, played our set and came back into the dressing room and Phil Jamison was there to no give us, to, to personally give us, invite yes. us. Yeah. Like he just like rocked up and was like, oh, and hey, his little yeah. little slides like, and overalls. Just, yeah, just wanted to like invite, you know, make sure everyone was able to come to the show. And so things that I love about that so much are that I think a lot of musicians, I'm just like a true fan of music, I guess, in I think that, you know, a lot of musicians get to this stage where they're playing so many shows that they just don't really want to see live music anymore. Yeah, yeah. You know, they just get to their set, rock up, play it and leave. But the fact that he had like come and seen this, you know, us play in Newcastle and that he was really, you know, very much amongst this live music scene, I loved and... And we've since seen him at Oversized Baggage. Yes, and like so at many the airport times. a bunch of times and we'll go up and say hi. Of course you have. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I might know the answer to this one, Tess, but as a fan, what was your best live music experience? Oh, mine's actually not Grinspoon. I mean, they were amazing, but I have this 
seeing Nick Cave at the Entertainment Centre, I've always been a really big fan of his and this was the first time I'd seen him live and this was, you know, a huge venue and I was told by a friend, like, whatever happens, get up into that front row. Like, just, you know, get there early, be right up close and he has this really incredible way of making each person in the audience feel like they are a unique part of that evening. That the that. evening would not be the same if you weren't there. And he, it's terrifying. He like reaches out and touches you and grabs you and like, you know, he'll like hold, you know, hold people's hands while he's singing certain songs. And he, he very much, you know, looks you in the eye and he also, what they do a lot in the Bad Seeds is they really take their songs live in different directions. So you're very much not just listening to the album. And I've spoken to other people who are at that gig and for me being at the front, I felt like they just gave so much of themselves in this performance and it felt like watching real musicians like really flex and be creative and have this incredible show and I've spoken to other people who were sitting in the grandstand and they also thought it was the best show that they've ever seen and they felt like they were the only people in the audience amazing what a skill to have isn't yeah. that incredible he he talks about yeah. it on he's got the two documentaries and he, he does talk about it on there I just think as a fan of live music that's what it's all about, to feel like you're having an authentic experience. It's a yeah, romantic idea and the reality of it is they've just gone and played, you know, 20 shows over the last month, you know, touring around the world. But the fact that they can get there that night and make you feel like you're having, you're getting the very best of them is really amazing. Hmm. Great answer. Zoe. It would have to be seeing Interpol. They're my favourite band all time and I am the most indecisive person in the world and the one thing I can be sure of is that Interpol, my favorite band per se. And I'd always kind of said to myself when I was in high school, I started listening to them when I was maybe 10 or 11. So I was obsessed. And I said, when I grow up, like what I'm going to do when I turn 18, like the first thing I'm going to do is buy a ticket to anywhere in the world where Interpol were playing. And they ended up around that time coming to Australia anyway, and they were playing at Splendor. And I was laying on the hill I don't know if anyone's familiar with the Natural Amphitheatre at Splendour in Byron. Of course, yeah. <laughs> I was laying on the hill behind the big tree and I was just uh, laying there holding my best friend's hand and crying. Because uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting my whole life. I've been wait- I've How been- old are you, sorry? I was. I would have been 19 and I, I feel like I'd been listening to them for about 10 years. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, and having time, listened to yeah. them for 10 years and never seeing them. And I, I mean – Tess would know that I probably cry at most shows anyway. I'm a really emotional person. I really love music. It moves me so much. But Interpol especially, they were there for me through puberty and like, you know, being a moody teen and probably formed a lot of the ways that I write lyrics. Yeah, it was really special. Shows how important music is, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. The way you both just described that's incredible, yeah. Oh, the way it can move you. There's this thing that Zoe and I both like – you know, our love of science, but that feeling of being able to be moved by music is something that's actually, it's genetic. It's not yeah, everyone can be moved by it. The link is like, you know, whether it's a song or whether it's seeing a piece of art, but to feel an, like an emotional response from it is not something that everyone feels. A band that you want to see that you haven't seen? Best Coast. You see? Oh my oh. God, Best Coast. Oh, because they're a huge inspiration for me, I think, for the boys. Yeah. Um, and they're sick. <laughs> I love Pulp and I've never seen them. And to me, for me, like the opportunity to 
see them at a festival would just blow my mind. They're on like, my list. Really? Yeah. Like imagine being in the crowd for the things that I love about them, particularly their songs Disco 2000 and Common People, obviously they're big songs. They're songs that like you think that you've reached the peak of the song and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and I just think it would be insane to see that live and Jarvis I also, Cocker and as well right I was just about to yeah. say and I just want all the weird shit from Jarvis Cocker yeah, like, yeah. and it's it, storytelling though is what yeah. I love it's amazing oh, like sort yes. it out for ease and whiz the lyrics in there that everyone can relate to Absolutely. needing to get home from parties and stuff <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great answer. They're on my list. Surprisingly, they're someone that I haven't seen mm. in all the other Britpop yeah. bands. Yeah, yeah. Recently, did they play Glastonbury like a few years ago? Or no, he played with his new band. Oh, yeah. So okay. They haven't played for a while. Hope, unfortunately, mm. yeah. They'll get back. They'll do it though. I hope so. Fingers crossed. They have to come to Australia, please. Yeah, my fiance <laughs> is obsessed as well. Really? So yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> we'd have to be there. Yeah. Okay. Last question. Why is live music so important? One of the things that I realized. I don't think that I felt like music definitely wasn't, I didn't consider it like an essential workers and, you know, was very accepting of the fact that music is not essential work. But then coming back and playing live shows, so we, you know, did a, a couple of seated shows at the Lansdowne and it was really from talking to the people who came to see us that the great thing about those seated shows was because they're so intimate, you get a chance to talk to everyone who's in the audience. And there were people who came up to us and told us how they had found us on a playlist in Spotify or when Spotify goes random. And they had then, you know, listened to the EP and that it was this thing that helped them get through COVID somehow. And, but then also the community that forms when you go and see bands. And there's a number of people who go and see five or six gigs or more. They see multiple gigs a night. They'd see so many gigs in a week and that is their community. It's for them. It's like, you know, what some people would get from going to church. It's it's their friends, you know, it's stimulating, it's their passion. And I really hadn't thought about how important that is for people and their mental health. So I think I just realized that it's so much more important than I thought. I think it's always been central in my life. So I've always understood the gravity of just how important it is for your mental health and it being taken away during COVID definitely emphasised that. But live music is, like you said, so important for community, so insanely important for mental health. You can meet people who have similar ways of thinking to you who might believe in the same things as you passionately because maybe they're singing this song about a cause that you care about and you can see someone you know, yelling those same lyrics and you clock eyes and you know that's your person. So I think it's important in like bringing people together, providing community and yeah, giving people purpose and reason. I find it really interesting that you mentioned it's similar to what people get out of church because that is huge. That I've just, I feel like I've just had an epiphany in life because (laughs) music and live music does give me purpose and a similar sense of purpose as what a religion Mm. would bring. Yeah. I think one other thing that live music in particular does is a lot of people, you don't know something is really possible until you've seen it be done. And when you can go to a gig and you can see a bunch of women on stage having a really great time, you know, and see this, like, you know, these strong friendships, it it shows people that they can do it too. And I think that's so important. Like everyone can play music. All you need to do is be able to play like three chords on the guitar and you can join a band. And, you know, I feel like there's so many people who, They have, you know, they play music at home and 
you know, you say like, you know, are you going to, you write songs? Like, why don't you play them as a band? And they'll say, oh, you know, first I'll learn how to do this chord thing and or this technique and then I'll be ready. And it's like, you don't need to do any of that stuff. Just like get a group of people together and then you can jump on stage and have the best time. And when you are able to go there and see that happening and talk to people, like so many bands are willing to have a conversation. And so being able to do that can just open up that world to so many other people. Well, I love that point that you make there as well, because if that person was sat at home and maybe was afraid to reach out to someone or join a band, they might be even drunk. Again, yeah. And someone mm. might say, well, we can do that. Yeah. yeah. And well, that, that, that was me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was me six years ago. I just needed to see myself reflected in society. And I went and I saw Body Type, which are another Sydney band. And I was just like, screw it. Maybe I can do this. Yes. Ears to the ground. Within a few weeks, yeah, it started the boys. It's amazing when you start talking, it's asking a few questions. Yeah. And then before yeah. you know it, then you're it's just, just everywhere. Doing a podcast with yeah, the yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was Body Type and then it was Imperial Broads. They were up on stage and they were like nearly like full term pregnant as well and I was like look at these kick-ass women yes. on stage with these huge bellies and I was just so inspired like there, this there was not a scene like that in Cronulla yeah um and it was so amazing to see women on stage and yeah it was like oh okay that can be me yeah I can put myself there and do you know another gap that I've been noticing as well and being a bit worried about really to be honest with you is those young girls guys whoever at that age not having those clubs to go to, those bands to go to, you know, that their outlet. Yeah. And I've just connected it to what you were saying as well. And now you have this opportunity to inspire so many other, like especially females, to be in, be in bands and, and take that step. Whereas there was this period in the UK, there's been an even longer period where they haven't necessarily had that time. Yeah. Like, how much does that set someone back where you know, oh, they've been on a new path or something? Massively. Yeah, that's so true. I've been reflecting on this a lot in the past few weeks, actually, because I've had a lot of people reach out saying, when are you doing an under 18 show? Because they used to be a lot more frequent. And I think it's one of the last things to come back after COVID. Yeah. And you're right. It's been a year now of no live shows. And like now things are starting to get back to normal. But it's going to be a lot longer, potentially two years until we see more of those under 18 yeah. shows. And that is the difference between someone being 16 and 18 at school and they've just missed out on those formative years of being able to see live music yeah. before turning 18. Which could have put them down that path. It could path. have changed their life. Yeah. yeah, that breaks my heart. Yeah, it's tough, eh? Yeah. It's mm. been in my mind a bit that has. Yeah. But listen, amazing answers. Incredible all throughout. Tess, Zoe, thank you so much. That's been incredible. I will link to your latest EP mm -hmm. on there as well. I think what you're doing is amazing. I love how we just sort of ended that there about inspiring, especially young females looking to be in bands. Mm. I feel like there is a lot of guitar bands with female either leads or guitarists or drummers, whatever it may be at the moment in Sydney. Mm. I'm a lot more than I see back home. So it's actually quite inspiring. Absolutely. Well. We've had a I boom think, lately too. Oh, and it's so there's great. There's a real scene going Big off time. in Sydney. That's, and it's so supportive of each other. Yeah, it's incredible. It's the best a great thing. time to be a female musician yeah. in Sydney. There's just this such strong community of bands and people, women getting up there who've never played an instrument before and have just picked up an instrument to join a band. And women kill it on stage. Yeah. So it's awesome. It's yeah. a great energy. Yeah. yeah. So, in a nutshell, keep doing what you're doing because it's absolutely incredible. And thank you for your time. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thanks thank for you. having us. Yeah. No I've had a all. lovely time chatting. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's um, indulging us. <laughs> <laughs> You're amazing. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you.